I'm John Culbertson. I am with Cardinal Real Estate Partners and also represent Brennan Investment Group as a principal. And for 25 years, I've been a commercial real estate guy here in the Carolinas, help people get clarity on some very tricky deals and I've made some acquisitions myself and done development of office and industrial. Got a broad background in helping people make money in commercial real estate and avoid losing their shirt. Well, John, why are we here today? That is a good question. We are kicking off our podcast. This is fun. <laughs> glad to be here with you, Carrie. I'm so glad to have you. This is a fantastic studio, isn't I'm it? I'm so impressed. This might be the coolest thing that's happening on Remount Road in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> Tell us about Remount Road. You want to know about Remount Road? I want to know about Remount Road. You know how I remember Remount Road and don't get it confused with Clanton Road because they run parallel to each other? Oh. Remount Road, you cannot remount onto Interstate 77. Ah. You can get off of Remount Road onto Interstate 77, but it's only limited access. Clanton Road has a full interchange. So now you know why it's called Remount Road. It's a misnomer. That is really interesting and good information to know. I make this stuff up. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Okay. So you work with people. You help them, advise them on real estate. What are we going to talk about today? This is a good one. I mean, it really is. This is a really good topic. And it's one that I've dealt with many times. It's one that we're going to see a whole lot more of in the future. It is very common these days for high net worth individuals to be looking for alternative investments like commercial real estate. And a lot of this is just due to the cause that for many years, there have been very low returns and everything. And so commercial real estate has become a very legitimate alternative investment. And you can get better than bond returns in what to many people looks like a bond uh, in, in owning real estate. What we're going to talk about is the eight mistakes that high net worth individuals make when investing into commercial real estate. What is a high net worth investor? Typically, you think of someone who has a million dollars to invest, so a million dollars of liquid assets. Now, since there's many more of those than there were a couple of decades ago, maybe that number is a little low. But generally speaking, I think if you have a million bucks to spend, you're high net worth. Well, tell us what you see. What mistakes are they making? What mistakes they are making? So I got eight. One of them, let's call it going in alone. And let me preface all my comments that high net worth individuals are smart people. They're successful people. They are savvy enough to know that they want to put money to work, not just earn it. By their nature, they're going to be confident. And so I think it's, I've seen many times, I actually made this number one because many times I've seen mistakes get made just because they're overconfident and underqualified when it comes around to commercial real estate. And Carrie, you know that I had a really good, long relationship with Henry Faison. And he, at times, could be a whole lot of fun to be with. And he used to have just these great sayings. And one day I'm going to 
write them all down. But one of them was he used to like to say that commercial real estate was the industry of the C student. Basically saying, you know, look, you don't have to be that smart to be successful. Now, if you knew Henry, how you knew how much grit and how much drive and and just how brilliant he was. But I think it's easy for a high net worth individual to look at a commercial real estate deal and say, you know, this is just isn't that hard. I can figure this out on my own and I don't need a consultant and I certainly don't need a C student telling me you know, how to go about this. And that's a mistake. You, you got to have a team. Commercial real estate is extremely competitive. It can be very time consuming. And, you know, you're, you're talking about a lot of money. You're talking about a lot of risk, a lot of variables. You got to build a great team. And I'm going to talk a little bit later about that team. I find often when something looks really seamless and simple, right. it is usually a lot harder to pull off yeah. than you expect. Right. I mean, things become simple when you have a really deep understanding. You know someone doesn't know what they're talking about if it takes them 20 minutes to explain it, right? Absolutely. You know, to get to that essence, make it really clear. That's when it comes into 10,000 hours. You know, <laughs> they're an expert. Before we go to the next one, physicians get a bad rap in commercial real estate. You know, a medical office is extremely attractive these days. And there are a lot of physicians that are putting money to work in commercial real estate. They are probably, as a broad category, the ones that sort of fit this description about going in or going at it alone the best is, you know, they, they look at it, they do their homework, they feel qualified, and it's common that uh, they can be very headstrong. And, and that's what you want, you know, from a, from a surgeon to a large extent. You know, somebody who feels very good about what they're doing isn't going to hesitate. And, but it's just a very different world, you know, of kind of capitalism or capitalistic or entrepreneurial move into developing an office building or buying an, an investment property. And as a broad class to get myself into a little bit of trouble, you know, you will see it most common when a physician steps in and and wants to purchase something. A building is not quite the same as making surgery. Absolutely. Making surgery. Yeah, making surgery. Uh, <laughs> making money in real estate is not the same as making surgery <laughs> or making money in surgery. Yeah. So what else are so, these investors doing wrong? Well, you know, it kind of falls into the last one where we're talking about due diligence or talking about you know, going in at it alone. The other point is just due diligence. And, you know, due diligence is easy to say, difficult to perform. And if one person's idea of due diligence is going to be very different than others, it takes a lifetime, truly, to know what are the important questions to ask. I spend a lot of time in industrial buildings, and I really feel like I'm on the pulse of the industrial market, as an example. I can pretty much size up an industrial investment in a few questions. You know, I want to know about the functionality of the building. I know specifically what questions to ask, clear height, number of dock doors. I want to know about the location. I know whether it's important whether that building's in this particular sub-market or close to an interstate, as an example for the particular type of use that's going to go into that building. And I know, to, you know, how to delicately ask about the seller circumstances. And I have a, a very good feel for construction cost, improvement cost, and replacement value and rental rates. So it doesn't take me but just a few questions from a broker to kind of figure out whether it's something that's going to 
fall into interest for my client or for Brennan. At Cardinal, we have this tool, and you've heard me talk about it before. I love this tool. And it's called the Due Diligence 360. And at Cardinal, we're a little different than a lot of other brokerage firms out there in that we perform a fair amount of consulting services for our clients. And this is a good example. So the Due Diligence 360 is a 221-point due diligence checklist. We charge for this. And most larger, you know, complex assignments, I'll ask to have the client engage us for this Due Diligence 360. And it really provides the vision for the property. It will quickly define what the obstacles are. And I can tell you a lot of stories about the obstacles that we, we uncover. And with that information in hand, comes real clear about how to overcome these obstacles and what, what action items need to be performed first. And it's just a kind of powerful data dump to start to create a plan to uh, achieve the client's objectives. I mean, there is so much information out there. I mean, you can oh. Google anything and find out almost anything just sitting at your desk and typing away. I know. And, you know, I wonder how that affects clients. They think, oh, I can get all that information. But from what you're talking about, it sounds like that there's a lot of information that's gleaned out in the field, right. as well as maybe like a, a gut feeling or just intuition from right. your years of experience of kind of knowing what's the right information to get, how to read someone or the source you're getting the information from. Right. Because, I mean... Just looking at it, sure, there's tons of information out there. Reports galore. But Absolutely. Sounds like and, a lot more. And you, yeah, yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head there. You know, there's a, there is certainly an art there. We've all had the experience where we go to buy a car and what do you do? You get online and you start getting all this information. And before you know it, you're just completely overwhelmed with data. Oh, and, yeah. and your head is spinning. And you're like thinking, man, why did I even start with this? And so some people... Depending on how they do their decision making, uh, if they're very detail oriented, you know, they continue to make this deep dive into the data. You have a friend of mine who it will take him two years, literally, to buy a television. And that's the kind of the way he makes his decision. For me, I don't really give it a whole lot of thought because I just buy the TV that he bought. (laughs) What did you get? I'm going to get a car. What do you think? And that's just a different, I'm much more of an intuitive decision maker and feel comfortable doing that. Carrie, it's kind of interesting because there's this. There's this change that's happening in the industry where there's just so much data that's out there that the brokers are terrified. And they feel that the information and, and the insight that they have is, has become a commodity that someone can get online from CoStar or LoopNet or Reese. CompStack is another one that's new. My thought is, is that the broker's value is going to be less about having the market information going forward because you know, you can get it online, but far more about simplifying and adding clarity to really complex decisions. You know, a CEO now has a thousand different things to consider when making a decision about an important real estate move, where before, from our vantage point now, it's far more simpler. So he is he is going to need to trust an advocate, you know, someone who can give them guidance and provide clarity on what issues are really important, what trends are really important. And that broker is going to have to be far more consultative going forward. Anyway, I digress. Well, no, I think you're describing like a, a Sherpa taking your client on oh, this journey. Yes. 
It is. And and the really good brokers understand that. You know, the, the idea of being a trusted advocate as opposed to someone who's just trying to slam a deal. Great. Pick up a fee. But yeah, due diligence. Due diligence. Real important. And it's not just downloading a checklist and starting to complete it on your own. You know, you really have to have the depth of understanding of the subtleties and nuances of the research that you're doing. Number three. Yes. You know, number three, I wrote down at first about portfolio diversification, and that can mean a lot of different things. But I think some people would tell you, advise you as an investor, certainly with stocks, that you got to be diversified. You know, one goes up, the other one's going to go down. You know, it gives you some confidence. I would say in commercial real estate, when I talk about portfolio diversification, you may want to think about two different things. One is, is consider the other properties that you have in your portfolio before acquiring anything else. Much in the spirit of like a stock diversification. Does it make a whole lot of sense? The second thing I would say as far as diversification is maybe you don't want to diversify. Going back to the physicians that I was making fun of, I think it's important to stick to your niche. If you are a physician, you understand medical office buildings well because you're in them every day and you're only going to have a few assets in your portfolio, don't go out and buy a warehouse, an office building and a strip center. Go ahead and just stick to your net. Own those office buildings that you understand because it's just going to make it far easier for you to understand all the decisions you're going to make along the way. You know, if you're a manufacturer, if, let's say you're a successful manufacturer, you're a CEO, own manufacturing buildings, own industrial buildings. You'll find them far more interesting and you'll be a better landlord and a better owner. If you made money in restaurants, own restaurant space, you'll get it you know, far easier. You know, I have a, a very good client, Fairway, in Birmingham, Alabama, and they understand retail very, very well. And so they have over 100 shopping centers and retail assets. They've got a greater knowledge and improving knowledge of multifamily. They've done really well in multifamily, and they're sticking to it. I've put them into a couple of office deals, and we've knocked the cover off the ball. But, you know, they rely heavily on me to provide that guidance you know, for them. They've done some industrial deals, not with me, but with others, and they just haven't really turned out very well, and they don't have a whole lot of interest on it either. And I think that's just kind of a good example where stick to your netting or have you know, some really good, trusted advisors around you that you can take their word as gold. 